Hello, amazing, beautiful ladies. You are listening to the Igbo Women's Initiative podcast with Ugochi Onyewu. I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast, where we celebrate all things Igbo. We speak to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or who are friends of Igbo culture. I just finished a really engaging chat with Dr. Ebere Okereke, who I have immense respect for. You will love this discussion. You can hear the passion in the voice of this strong woman. Ebere was born in London and returned to Nigeria at age five, where she grew up. Ebere is a self-professed ABU, which stands for Aba Brought Up, because she grew up in Aba, eastern Nigeria. Ebere went to medical school at the University of Nigeria Enugu campus. Today, Ebere is a public health physician with 28 years experience of practice in many countries and expertise in epidemiology, health protection, communicable disease control, infection prevention and control, and zoonosis. Ebere is currently leading the development and implementation of the PHE program to strengthen capacity in low and middle income countries so they can comply with the international health regulations. Previously, as a global health strategist, she worked to build the partnership between PHE and International Rescue Committee, IRC, in Kenya. In today's episode, we discuss a wide range of topics. In spite of her great achievements, Ebere says that her biggest accomplishment is her daughter, Amara. Amara won the 2018 Stage Debut Award for Best Actress for her lead role as Cassette in the London West End production Les Miserables. Ebere is one of the most widely read people that I know, and she talks about some of her favorite books. I particularly love something she says during our chat. She says that we spend too many hours at work not to love what we do. I asked Ebere what person, living or dead, has made the biggest impact on her life, and I love her response. Hi, Ebere. It's so nice to talk to you this morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and it's lovely to talk to you too. Yes, I've introduced you to the audience, and you can just start off. Talk to us a little bit about... Uh, where you were born, where you grew up, what part of Igbo land you're from, whether or not you speak Igbo, all that kind of stuff, if you would. Okay, um, I, I was born in London, um, but returned to Nigeria when I was about five. Um, so I spent more, most of my entire childhood, except those first few years, in Abba, which is in Abia State in um uh, what used to be the former uh, East Central, if you go, depending on how far you go back. But so when I returned to Nigeria, it was East Central State back in the day. Mm. Uh, so I'm a very, very proud ABU. And if you don't know, ABU is an Abba brought up. So, um, and I lived in, in Igbo land. I studied in Igbo land until I left Nigeria at the age of 23. So primary school was in Abba. Secondary school, like you know, was in Federal Oweri. Mm. Uh, university was in uh, UNN, so in Suka and Enugu for medical school. Um, and so I, I'm as Igbo as it comes. Um, I speak Igbo fluently, very proudly. I read it. I write it. 
Um, and I, I learned to read the Bible in Igbo. That was my my, pater, my maternal grandfather made us uh, wow. learn Igbo by reading the Bible in Igbo. So I am. Um, I read Omenoko, which is considered an Igbo language classic uh, novel, yes. when I was uh, maybe ten. Huh. Um, so um, yeah, so I, I'm quite proud of my command of the language. It's the only <laughs> other language I speak besides English. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And if we have time at the end, maybe we'll just we'll just talk a little bit in Igbo, just a couple of sentences, just to give the audience a taste. We'll see. <laughs> I can be very rude in Ibo as well. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll go there. We'll see what comes out. <laughs> so talk to us just a little bit about um, your experience of, um, you know, events in, the, in, in Nigeria. Do you have any favorites like weddings or, you know, traditional weddings, Christmas? People always have fond memories. I'm just curious as to whether you have any particular fond memories. Um, my, my fondest memories are, are Christmas as a child. Um, we spent every Christmas, every Easter, and a bit of the long vacations in the village with my grand. My everybody returned. My dad is one of eight, and he's the second mm. of five. Uh, the five uh, men and three women in the family, um, and we 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 went home. That was the norm. School mm. closed. We went home. And until my dad and his brothers subsequently built their own homes, we stayed in my grandma's house. My grandfather on my dad's side died. I think my dad was 16 when he died. So my grandma was one tough woman. She raised all eight of her kids, the last of which was a baby in arms when her husband died. Mm. And he was a a, a local vicar, equivalent of what we call a vicar in England. So Mm. uh, 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 a canon in the, he was actually posthumously canonized Mm. in the Anglican communion in in Nigeria. So she didn't really have much. She raised them on her own, but she had a home. And that was the family home we all I don't know how but we all did manage to fit into that house Mm. it's an an old um brick uh um house um with four four rooms and the central room Mm. uh the kitchen was a separate building the toilets bathroom was a separate outhouse um and my cousins and I grew up with my cousins my dad's older brother all our lives and still till today lived down the road from his brother. They are two peas in a pod. So I grew up with my cousins. We were in each other's homes all the time. And we used to call ourselves the Ameroon Football Club because there was 11 of us between (laughs) two men. Um, So we all went home. And Mm -hmm. the parents got the bedrooms, the four rooms on the side. My grandma had her room. And then we all slept on mats in the living room. Nice. This is going back to the 70s. There mm-hmm. was no, forget phones and all that sort of yes. stuff. There yeah. was no electricity. You didn't have ubiquitous generators as you have now. We had lamps mm. and candles and it was fun. Yeah. We had so much time. We used to la- all go to bed together and my grandma would tell us a story. Um, and then, uh, and she used to tell some really scary ones too. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you know what people call akukifo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Igbo fairy tales, um, yes. and which there's always it's always about animals and bear, you know, yeah. the tortoise and uh, Odum the lion. Yes. 
and, and there was always a moral tale, the moral uh, lesson to be learned from that. Um, and she used to sort of make sure we all went to the bathroom before, before we went to bed, because if you woke up in the night and you had to go, we had to wake her so she could get a lamp. Mm. And it caught just outside because this was an external um, pit latrine. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So as we grew, grew older and our parents built their own homes, we said we had more room. We didn't have to sleep on the floor in the, my grandma's room. But we always, first part of call, as soon as we got to the village, is we all went to, we used to call her the mama. She's, mm. she's dead now. We all went to the mama's house and ate her food. Oh, nice. You went. <laughs> And we drank Maltex. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, <laughs> not, not Maltina, not yes. super malt. It was Maltex. Yes. Uh, so that, that is my fondest memory is, is Christmas. And Christmas, like I said, big family. We, um, in my grandma's house initially, and then subsequently took turns in my dad's uh, brother's homes. Um, we'd all cook or parents then but I, I was always into cooking so we'd all cook and we'd all congregate and eat in one person's house so mm-hmm. each mum each person had that kind of specialty dish um, and and we'd all eat together and spend we you know we went to church first church went on forever of I don't course. know about you, but Christmas yes. Day church in the village. Yeah, hours. They, they do bazaar in case yeah. you missed it because the far harvest was months earlier. So all the abroad people, which is what they used to call the people who didn't live in the village, they do the harvest. They do the everything. They'd yeah. be fundraising yeah. for X, Y, Z, everything. So church went on from about nine in the morning till two o'clock. Oh gosh! And we'd usually escape once we'd done the Thanksgiving and had the family dance up to the altar and do that we'd escape um and then my excuse was always I had the turkey in the oven I'm going home to consult the turkey (laughs) (laughs) so we'd all congregate and 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 after church and 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 spend the whole day we'd eat we always danced Mm. it had a dancing competition we you know the it was just wonderful Mm. those are my memories yes and and that was the thing I tried to introduce my daughter to by um we went home for Christmas every other year when mm. she was younger mm. and, and and I remember the very first time that she was old enough to to actually enjoy it uh, the day before the night before we were due to leave to come back to England she disappeared she didn't mm. want to go home yeah. so <laughs> she <laughs> went hiding with her cousins and everything yeah. <laughs> uh, she didn't want to go home my fondest memories I don't really remember weddings that much mm-hmm. no that's amazing you know just as you're talking it just brings back all these memories you know of the village and playing with cousins and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I I love doing this podcast right because I think it's important um, or at least I do to, to kind of give the next generation an awareness of the culture you talk about taking your daughter back every other year especially when she was younger so you know it sounds like it's really important for you as well to pass the love of that culture to, to your daughter as well right absolutely particularly because she lives outside of Nigeria yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's very true the the, the bit I feel sort of unfortunately I haven't really introduced it to is my maternal side because my mom's from Muguta which you know Mm. is on the lake yes Um, and it might I spent sort of we spent Christmas in with my dad's in my dad's village and the new year uh, new year's eve we'd go to Uguta and we'd spend uh, a new year's I- I day and a few more days in, in Uguta um, every, every every time as well mm. um, and it was a totally different experience my granddad uh, on my mum's side 
was quite a successful businessman. He had a huge old, I don't know if you remember those old wooden colonial houses on stilts. Yes, yes. yes. So, yeah. yeah, so Papa lived in one of those. Huh. Um, and and um, the lake, lake was down the road. It was, uh, Oguta was a bit of, it was a small town on like my dad's village, which was actually a small village at the time. Um, and Papa, my, my granddad's nickname was, his business was called Irima Wawo. Hmm. Um, and his nickname was Jolly. I don't mm. have to explain that. That was Papa. Yes. Papa had an open house. There was mm. always people there. There was always food. My grandma was, you know, cooked constantly. Papa had a, 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 a poultry uh, and a plantation. So he supplied mm. his own food. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had, and we could go to the lake. Mm. Um, but all amongst all that fun, 4.30 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning, oh. a bell rang. Hmm. And we all had to be at the dining table for morning Bible study and prayers. So that's where uh-huh. I learned to read, read the Bible in Igbo. Amazing. So we learned, you'd read, you'd interpret. So you learned. You learned, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. amazing, amazing, amazing. So you've come a long way from there, right? Oh, uh, yeah. uh, through secondary school, how I, you and I uh, kind of know each other, went to the same secondary mm. school, you know, mm. where he, um, Talk us through your journey, maybe, to where you are now. Because, you know, I, you have a fascinating story, Bere. We're friends on Facebook. And, you know, it seems like every single week you're in a different part of the world. So talk to us about your journey from you know, Nigeria to where you are now, if you would, please. I think it sounds more uh, um, glamorous than it, <laughs> it is. And, and, and it sounds more calculated than it actually was. <laughs> um, I, I, I sort of, um, I'll tell you a bit. I went to federal aware, not because that was my choice. I had this vision. I was kind of a rather precocious child um, that, you know, this was the early 70s. Um, we're all sort of, you know, this new vision of one Nigeria. So I had this in my mind. It was all planned. I was going to go to secondary school in Boko, so in the north. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to go to university in Ibadan, in the west. Hmm. Um, so I went for the federal entrance exam, filled my form and put first choice federal WUKO, um and did the exam. And then when my dad came to pick me up, I told him, yeah, I've done this. And I saw what I filled. And he went back in and he changed it. Oh. And he changed WUKO to a worry. Because oh. as far as I was concerned, my older brother, who was two years older than me, he, he's, he's dead now, uh, was a diabetic. So he didn't go to boarding school. Hmm. Uh, so I was their first child going away for school. Um, and he did not want me going that far. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't anything to do with tribes or anything. He just didn't want me going that far. And so that was why I was in federal worry. And then when he came to university, I said, yeah, I'll go to Baden. That's your alma mater. My dad went to is a, is a doctor as well. And he, he, he trained in UCI, as he insists on calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I'll go to Baden. And the same thing. He said, mm, nah, it's too far. You go too far. <laughs> so jump application form he filled that bit in before he gave me the form uh, first choice unn second choice unn oh <laughs> so that's how i end i went there so i went to medical school in in um in enugu um which was great i did not i did not like enugu i didn't fit um i enjoyed my course the program yeah. but i didn't enjoy the town yeah um uh, uh, so so i was determined not to spend a day longer in Enugu than I needed to. So mm. the day we took the Hippocratic Oath after our results were came, up, came out, I said, yeah, that's my last time here. Mm. Um, so I did not apply to do my house job in my own medical school, teaching hospital, right. which was the norm. Right. Um, 
So a few months before that, so first of all, I need to put some context. There's a group, uh, have, I've been very fortunate to have a bunch of amazing friends. Mm-hmm. My mom calls us through thick or thin. So Wanda Anyoko, Audrey, now Audrey Robertson, she's yeah. with Audrey Jemanzi. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in Kem Nato now, she's been Kem OKK. They used to call us the Four Musketeers. Mm. Um, we did th- everything together. And Audrey and, and Wando and I are still that tight. Yeah. Um, so Audrey's um, mom is from Trinidad. Yeah. Uh, her, her uncle was the medical director of the Porto Spoon General Hospital at the time. And mm. he was just recruiting doctors from Nigeria. Mm. So we heard and we said, mm, that'd be fun. Mm. Audrey's mom said, yeah, it'd be nice. You can go and get to know your Trinidadian and family a bit better. Mm. Um, and so we told our parents and our parents said, okay, if you can get in, fine. Mm. Now, I learned afterwards that my dad was convinced that I wouldn't be able to get in without his involvement. <laughs> uh, he under- underestimated me. He hasn't done that again since. Oh. <laughs> so we, we all applied. Um, we got in. Mm. Um, and then, so we needed to buy flights to get there. We, we, hadn't, we weren't working. Um, and then uh, by this time, because we'd graduated and were waiting for all this paperwork to come through, through. I'd started doing my house job in uh, a co-hospital, a co-teaching hospital in Lagos with mm-hmm. Nelly. Mm. Now, Professor Nelly was my dad's classmate, so they were friends. Um, mm. I had um, missed the interviews when they actually recruited for house jobs. Mm. So I asked my dad, he said, no, you really don't want to go and work in Lagos. Why don't you stay in Enugu and everything? And I went, yeah, okay. So I went mm. to Lagos to visit my uncle. My dad's younger mm. brother lived there. Mm. And I went to Echo Hospital and asked to see Professor Nelly. And I went to him and I said, my dad says you should give me a job, <laughs> which was very unethical. Um, and, and, and he said to me, he said, if your dad asked me, he would have phoned me himself. Yes. So I was interviewed and then I offered the job. So I said, I worked in Echo Hospital while we're waiting for Trinidad to come through. Mm-hmm. Then my dad changed his mind and felt it was too far. They don't know anyone there. Started, started trying to influence our other friends, fathers who he knew who were also planning to go to Trinidad. Mm. Um, so we had a bit of a, it's a long story, but there was mm. a bit of a, I'm not talking to you anymore. But yeah. it's kind of um, yeah. And I think it was like three days before the deadline or five days before the deadline that I had to be in Trinidad if I was taking the job. Um, my dad turned up in my clinic in, uh, in um, I think it was the Surulere, but no, I was in the Butemeta clinic at the time. Mm-hmm. And the nurse comes to me, she says, there's this man, my dad is quite young, looks very young, but there's this <laughs> man that says he's your father, you know, very cynically. She didn't believe <laughs> my dad, who wants to see you. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked at him, it was my, I said, yeah, he's my dad, but he'll wait. I'm, I'm in clinics. Yeah. So anyway, he said, <laughs> last minute, he said, right, if you think you can get all the paperwork together, you can go. Mm. I had already got my visa. I had actually booked a flight that I couldn't pay for. Um, So I had already given Echo Hospital notice. So he didn't know all this. So two days after he said I could go, I was home, dropped all my stuff. Three days later, I was on a plane. Mm. That's how we got to Trinidad. At least I got there. Um, And we spent a year there. Um, And that was actually my first exposure to the HIV pandemic. Mm-hmm. In Nigeria at the time, it wasn't even recognized that things were this was going yes. on. It was 19, early 90s, 1990, mm-hmm. 91, 1990, yeah. Um, I loved working in Trinidad, but I also knew that I couldn't stay there beyond the year because mm-hmm. it, it's very laid back. 
Um, mm. Lovely, mm. wonderful people. Carnival is an experience. Mm. So I thought, yeah, I'll need to move on after this. And of course, I have to sort of mention the fact that I had a boyfriend at the time, now <laughs> husband, for 26 odd years. Yay! Um, so, yeah, so Chikisi was in London. Mm. Um, so I thought, wow. Well, I, I, I looked into the American exams, went to sort of see if I would visit a friend who was working in Harlem Hospital and decided, no, I don't want to work in the American health system. So, mm moved uh, down back to London so early 90s got to London uh, got married um, did what you do you know we all start out medical school thinking we're going to be brain surgeons yes and, um, <laughs> um, but sort of you know I was what you Americans call an uh, internal med- internist we call yes. it general here so mm-hmm. I was in a general medicine residency mm-hmm. just you know going through the motions uh, a lot of people said I was a good doctor I don't remember what I remember was the frustration of people seeing the same patients. I loved elderly care medicine. That was my favorite rotation. Mm, I interesting. Loved all people. They're so fun. They're so interesting. Stressful. Yeah. Interesting. yeah. And, and they're so appreciative of just sitting yes. and a chat. So I, I love that. But yeah. I remember my dad saying, the life expectancy in Nigeria is 50 something. At mm. that time, I'm still planning, you know, five years and we'll be back home, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, elderly care is not yet a, a, a it's it's you need to get people to live that long that was yeah. his, his his view yeah and I also just felt you know it was uh, one of the consultants I was working with at the time who we were working in a late clinic finishing up clinic notes and he said to me what he thought was a compliment and it was a compliment he said oh Barry I can see you sitting where I'm sitting in a few years time mm. and mm. I freaked mm. I just went home and I had a full-blown panic attack yeah I want to do that yeah I didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew it wasn't that so I resigned um my boss at the time took it personally he was very upset actually mm. says, actually you did me a favor you made me think mm. um my husband was not amused I was on a three-year residency those things were hard to hard come to by no I know so it was it was irresponsible it was you know everything you shouldn't be <laughs> But I knew I had to take myself out of my comfort zone to mm. find where I wanted to be. So I mm. locumed around for a bit, went to Liverpool School, did a t- diploma in tropical medicine because it mm. was short. Yeah. it. I could work around it. Mm. And I thought it'll give me, a, I start thinking again about, mm. you know, what I want to do. And mm. I discovered what is now called public health, but at the time it was community medicine mm. while I was on that um, course. Mm. And um Professor Lucas. Professor Lucas was a Nigerian professor of community medicine, used to work with WHO, highly respected guy, gave us a talk in that course. And I actually went to him and said, how do I do what you do? Mm. That was how I shifted into public health. Uh, I went into a public health training program, uh, aiming to be a consultant in communicable disease control. That's what we call it in the UK. Mm. So, um, and which is what I, I, I can be quite driven when I am clear about what I want to do. Um, and I did that. So I became a consultant in chemical disease control um, maybe 17, 18 years ago. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and did that for a while. And then I started getting bored. <laughs> so I, 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 my first job uh, was myself and a, a colleague. We set up a whole new team. So that was, I think we were working about 70, 80 hours a week at the time. Between oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. And we set up a whole team. Everything was, we you know, we, and that, that was it was, and mind, I had a young child when I was doing this, not mm. white. Mm. Um, mm. Um, but we, I loved that. And then sort of when things were running, I thought, okay, I need a new challenge. So I moved to a different 
department, you have different units, same sort of job. Mm. And then I started thinking, you know, the bit about public health that appealed to me and remembering, you know, that upstream work and trying to, I want to work where I think, my, the, I don't think the, the system in the UK can work. I don't have to be there. It's just yeah. 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 Yeah, there are countries that don't have the system. Mm. Um, so I started sort of, you know, nursing the idea of going into global health, mm. but not really doing anything about it. Mm. Um, then I went to a TEDx Houston conference. You know, the TEDx, um, yeah. the TED Associated yeah. Program. TEDx Houston focuses on African diaspora. Mm-hmm. And this is its tenth year and its mm. final year. Mm. Um, tell your listeners out there anyone who has the chance to go mm. go it's mm. the first Saturday in December the tickets are on sale now it is a life-changing experience this huh. my seventh uh, TEDx oh okay um, hmm. and and at this one they challenged the audience say do something to give give back to the continent hmm. however you you can and we there was a, a board for people to write down what they were going to do and and so I write, wrote down, I said, right, next 12 months, I should be on the path to going to work in Africa. Not mm. sure where, not sure what, but I will be. Um, and I think I always tell people I'm my own worst competitor. <laughs> uh, um, if I set a goal for myself, so long as I'm clear about what the thing is I want to do, I can be a little obsessive about it. <laughs> so um, I badgered my current uh, director at the time to let me go and do an international health consultancy course so I could actually learn to work internationally. Um, and then I started applying for jobs, even the ones I wasn't qualified for. I, I think I might even have applied for, applied for the director general of WHO or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I got um, a secondment from my employer to go and work in Kenya with International Rescue Committee. Wow. Um, Mm. So I did some work on developing a community strategy for um, the refugee camps in Kakuma and Dada. Mm. These are some of the oldest uh, refugee camps in the world. Mm. Remember Live Aid? Yes. Um, That was based on on Kakuma and just Mm. after the Somali, um, you know, famine and drought yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. people, some of the people who moved those 20, nearly 30 years ago are still on those camps. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was a, a wonderful experience in the terms of having purpose. Yes. So, um, it was supposed to be going for three months. I managed to stretch it out to nine. Mm-hmm. And, and I loved Kenya. Nairobi is my second home. I yeah. absolutely love Kenya. I love Kenyans. Don't love their food. They don't put enough spice <laughs> in it. But yeah, but I love Nairobi. I love Kenya, and I loved the work I was doing. So mm. when I came back, I said to my boss, "I'm back, but I'm not going to be here for long. I've got to mm. find a way to do this full time." Oh yeah. Um, and so, long story short, or not that short, I ended up doing this job I do now, mm. which is. Uh, I'm a consultant in global health security, global public health, but specific mm. focus on global health security. And the mm. project I lead is about working, it's about capacity building. That's the bottom line. It's about mm. building up capacity in low and middle income countries for mm. them to be able to manage, identify, yes. respond and control outbreaks so they don't become a pandemic, you know, a catastrophic mm. global mm. thing. Mm. Um, so uh, um, I work with um, a number of countries, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Zambia, Pakistan, and Myanmar currently. 
Mm. Um, I engage with all sorts of fascinating people because it's, it's a big, um, broad church. There's all mm. sorts of international agencies working on this same agenda. Mm. It, it's interesting, but the thing that strikes me the most is the young people out there in these mm. who are just looking for an opportunity to do something meaningful. Yeah, and, and for me, that's the most rewarding part of my job is mm. to be able to support such young people. I love that. Mm. This is amazing. And, you know, it's funny as you were talking, I can tell the passion in your voice. You know, I, I always love to talk to talk to people about their passion because you don't have, you know, my work is easy. I can just hear you just talk about it with such conviction and passion it's just really amazing and you know I, I you know obviously I follow you on Facebook and I see all the different places and I live vicariously through your point it always appears more glamorous than it is um you, you you've you've uh, you obviously travel alone quite a bit um I do yeah, I, I, um, I'm, I'm a UK civil servant, so um, we have to pass something called the Daily Mail test. Um, so I'm speaking personally here, so uh, it's not a, a, I'm not speaking as a, a speaker of uh, you know UK government, but the Daily Mail is a very uh, right-wing, uh, anti-government, and anti and, and, and anti-everything probably mm -hmm. good in my view newspaper <laughs> uh, who scrutinize uh, government expenditure in areas that they don't support mm. um, so global health being one of them um, so, so we travel cheapest flight possible mm. cheapest ho hotel that passes the uh, government security assessment mm -hmm. um, for the barest time most of these countries I've been to I haven't seen anything besides the inside of people's offices. So I might travel overnight on a Sunday night, get there Monday morning, have a couple of hours snooze, sleep in my, check into my hotel, then I'm at meetings. Mm. Um, I'm at meetings, I usually, at the end of the day, unless I have a dinner meeting with colleagues, I go back to my hotel room, write up my reports, um, do that for X number of days. So I might finish at four o'clock of the final day, head straight to the airport, catch another overnight flight, get home on a Saturday morning, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so it's not glamorous in that sense. Um, we're, you know, we're, we, we're on the cheapest seats in the plane. So you, I only get an upgrade, or I get an upgrade rarely. Um, it's usually because they've mixed up something overbooked or I've actually, I, when I updated my passport, I put in there that I'm a doctor. Mm. Now, this is the double-edged sword. It means if there's an emergency on a plane, you will get faster <laughs> Uh, one of my colleagues ended up spending eight hours monitoring a patient on a flight to Ethiopia oh, from Nigeria. Oh, um, yeah. But it also means that if there's a, 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 an opening in a higher class, there's a good chance that you might get mm. off of that. So occasionally yeah. we get an upgrade, yeah. but it isn't, it isn't glamorous yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it isn't, that isn't why we do the work. Right, of course. Of I course. wish I did get the chance, though, to see some of the parts, parts of Ethiopia, mm. for example. Mm. But, I don't care. I still, I still, I meet some interesting, fascinating people. Mm. Wonderful. I can only imagine. I mean, this is amazing. You, you talking us through your journey and your passion and everything. But you know, it's funny. You and I were talking, and you had told me that you know you have a greatest accomplishment, which has nothing to do with obviously your career and your 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 passion with the work that you do. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and ask you, even though I know what the answer is. What your greatest accomplishment to date is and why? Okay, right. Now, it's going to sound really silly because it's not actually my accomplishment, but well, I like to own it. <laughs> uh, it's my daughter. I have only one child. Um, my daughter, Amara, she's 22. 
she's an actor, um, a successful one, even though she only just graduated last year. And um, But it's not just about her career. It's about her. Um, as a parent, you know, the one thing we, we hope is that we raise a kind child, a, a good person, you know, not a perfect person, not a successful person, a good person, a, a person that um, if, you know, you bump into someone who says, oh, I know your child, she's wonderful, he's wonderful. That's what we want. I, I'm sure any parent out there would agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, I feel... It, very honored that I meet a lot of people who work with her and know her who mm. say to me you know your daughter is lovely and mm. she, it's not about her you know how she looks but about the person that she is yes now um I don't know if all of that's down to me uh, of course it isn't all entirely down to me mm. I mean I think she's she, she's herself mm. her dad has something to do with it of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I need to give him that. Um, but it, 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 me, it gives me so much joy mm. to know she's a, a, a good person. Mm. But it also gives me joy that she's pursuing a career that you and I, where we both women, we know, we know you know, that, remember that um, famous Gina Yashere joke that you're, if you're a Nigerian uh, child, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a disgrace to the family. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so my daughter's an actor. Ooh, you know, you know that's that's not thing. That's not what Igbo people, women do. Why did she pass her exams? She got why? You know. So, um, so she had a bit about her journey. I mean, because everybody says, "How did you know she was going to do this?" I yeah. Didn't. I didn't. Like I told you, I was working, you know, ridiculous hours mm. when she was young. I needed an after-school activity. Mm. And in her nursery, they used to get a ballet teacher come in once a fortnight or something and do a half-hour thing with them. And she loved it. So mm. dance, dance classes, that would be fine. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I, the only criteria I had was that they have to have le- lessons late after school. Mm. And it would be close enough to between her school and the home so she could be go from school to there and then, then I pick her up from there. That mm. was my only criteria. And mm. then I needed to like and trust the people. Right. Um, so that was how I picked the dance school she went to and she loved it. Um, we went for a taster visit and she saw them doing a tap class and she wouldn't leave. She was totally fascinated. And so the dancer, she looked in her cupboard, found a pair of tiny tap shoes and she joined in. Mm. And that was it. At the same time, in her nursery, they also, it was a lovely nursery, by the way. Um, they used to bring us a teacher to teach them to sing mm. and play music with them. And this teacher waited for me one day when I was always the last parent to get there, you know, <laughs> rushing down the A1 uh, or A64 from York where I was working to Leeds. Mm. And, and, oh, she wants to teach Amara p- uh, piano. And I went, mm, I haven't got time. Yeah. She, oh, no, no, yeah, I'll, I'll teach her, you know, just on Saturday, I'll come to the house. You have a piano. And I went, no, I don't. None of us mm. play any instrument. I'm, I'm mm. not musical. I had the chance. My dad's, one of my dad's brothers was, is a gifted musician. Mm. And we were supposed to all learn, but I was impatient. I just wanted to be able to sit at the piano and play. I didn't want to have to learn scales. So I didn't learn. That's my fault. <laughs> um, and um, so we didn't have a piano. And she said, so I said, okay, I'll buy a toy keyboard. She said, no, no, no. 
a piano. <laughs> Proper one. <laughs> yeah. And I went, do you know how expensive those things are? I'm a junior doctor. I don't that much. Mm. And she kept going on. She said, I'll show you where you can get a secondhand one. And if you, she's not playing after a year, I will help you resell it. So I got a piano. Mm-hmm. took a loan got a piano mm. and she started piano lessons and I think she did her first piano what they used to call a prep test which was uh, before you did the Royal Academy of Music uh, uh, exams mm. or, so, so board or something it was called I can't remember when she mm. was five four or oh, five wow. and, mm. and the examiner came out to me and said oh I am very certain I'll see your, see your daughter on stage at some point oh I thought yeah right she's going to medical school <laughs> <laughs> well she did the dance and then she you know along the line she said uh, I didn't know she could sing she said Mm. ask him for singing lessons it was basically anytime they did anything in primary school she'd come back with a new instrument Mm. so she came back with the clarinet one time so this time she's now doing dance classes Mm. uh, piano classes clarinet classes and she said ask him for singing lessons and I said girl I'm broke because <laughs> the dad's view was very much that's between you and her I'm not involved in that one. Um, and and so I said no to singing lessons and then I think she was 10 and they did a show in their school you know just Joseph and the amazing technical dream coach yeah yeah and he didn't actually tell me she had a significant role mm. she still does that um and so I came you know almost late as always um and got in and the deputy head goes oh Mr. Carrick I've saved you a seat in the front you know my star's mum and I was looking at her. <laughs> she was the narrator you know the narrator sings entire the entire show yes and I sat there with my mouth open I did yes. not know my daughter could sing wow so I thought, oh, I better get you singing lessons then, hadn't I? <laughs> and so we went to the same place where we got her piano teacher and her clarinet teacher. And I said, I want a singing teacher, but it's got to be cheap and it's got to be close to home so she can walk because I can't take her anywhere else. <laughs> um, so it took them a bit, almost a year. Um, and then they came back to me and said, yeah, we have found you a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, Sue Lees is now Amara's honorary grandma. Mm. Um, because we went for a, what was supposed to be tasted. She's she was retired opera singer from Opera North and Covent Garden and everything. Mm. Lovely, mm. lovely, lovely woman. Mm. And so we went for a taste of it, you know, have a chat and everything. And so she said, "Oh, I'll just see what you can do." We were there for two hours. Wow! And she 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 just said. I want to teach your daughter. Mm. So we paid a lot less than she normally charges. She Mm. taught uh, Amara. And then when Amara expressed an interest in musical theatre, she recommended a a musical theatre specialist. So Amara did both classical and musical theatre training. Mm. Uh, Helen Leaf, who was a a musical theatre teacher. Um, So these these people are now family. And Amara spent so much time with them. Mm. And when I used to work weekends, I'd drop her with one or the other and go off. And she's, you know, it was, they were wonderful. Mm. And they trained her. Mm. So so when you say becoming, "Mm, is this thing serious? You know, she's a straight A student. And, you know, she did a work experience in the hospital and hated it. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. And at one point, you know, what do you want to do? School was pushing, you know, you want to be, you know, want to support you if you want to go for Oxbridge and that kind of thing. We need to start now to prepare you and that sort of thing. She didn't want that. She didn't know what she wanted to do or she didn't want to articulate what she wanted to do. I also think 
what what skills have you got? I mean, being good in our little town in Leeds, hmm. doing local competitions doesn't mean it's a career potential. Yeah, yeah. So I started, I'm one of those people who even faced with a new challenge, I do research. So mm-hmm. I went online, how, you know, what's this? What? How do you find out if somebody's good? And there were these national youth music theatre groups that mm-hmm. I hear were very difficult to get into. So I thought, well, it only cost £10 to audition back then. Mm. I'll find out if she's any good mm. so first one she went into she auditioned she got in she got a lead role mm. I thought okay mm. that's interesting mm. and then they said oh this this other one's even harder to get into because mm. they do fewer shows and they do you know they go through the whole of UK and Ireland mm. and they like audition three four thousand people and they might pick a hundred people mm. but all right let's let's go for that one that was 20 pounds mm. to audition and mm. I got there she was um how old was Amara then 14 mm. 14 when I went for this audition and um it was a whole day thing got there most of the people there were talking oh this is my third time auditioning I haven't got in now and and she was you know she started to panic and she was mm. just panicking. what have I done and I yeah. said so you don't need to do this now one mm. thing about my daughter which I think is she gets from both her parents is she doesn't ever quit yeah no matter how freaked out she she doesn't ever quit Mm. so she went no I'll do it and then picked her up at 5 p.m she said I loved it I don't think I'm going to get in but I loved it oh (laughs) wow it was a musical by Jason Robert Brown who's an American writer called 13 so there were Mm. only a cast of 13 Mm. she got in and Mm. it was in the West End wow so opening night Amara comes out at stage door and says to me mommy this is what I want to do and I went Okay, right yeah. then, that's what you want to do, we'll work on it. You work mm. hard, I'll do my research. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's it in a nutshell. And then mm. I got the, you know, usual, you know, what, what is all this thing? It's a hobby, you know. And I said, I love my job. Mm. We spend too many hours at work not to love yeah. what we do. Exactly. So you've got to love what you do. Yeah. She loves this. Mm. And I have no doubt that she will work hard. And mm. people who know because I don't, I'm an, a consumer of, of, of theatre. I'm not a, you know, I don't know anything about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. People who do seem to think she has potential because every year she got in, she got a lead role every year. I mean, she played um, Maria in West Side Story in NYT production and one of mm-hmm. the most experienced musical theatre critics in the yeah. U.S. compared her to Audra McDonald. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. not a bad comparison if you, yeah. you know, if you're looking career yeah not so, not at all that's great yeah so she went to drama school and um three years intensive training in her final year before she graduated she got into Le Mijab in the West End mm-hmm. take a set Le Mijab is in its 34th year of running mm. it's the first and only time where the lead where cassette has been played by a black actor yeah. amazing amazing uh, it's, and, yeah. and she won an award for that, a stage mm. debut award for that. Uh, mm. She's done well. Mm. Now we know she's currently in in Oklahoma playing Laurie. Mm. Um, and um, but but most of all, I come back to the thing is that everybody says what a nice person she is. Mm. You know, and that is for as a parent is the thing you want the most. Yeah. And so that's why I consider my greatest achievement. Yeah, oh, even I though it was mostly not to do with me. <laughs> Well, yeah, it is. You're a mother, so of course. Yeah, I love it. Such a lovely, lovely story. I love it. Thank you for 
sharing it with us because I think mm. that's an amazing story. And it's, it still speaks to this passion. Mm. And I, I, I see a recurring theme, you know, about, you know, passion and purpose to what you love. And to your point, you said something that was so profound. We spend too many hours at work to not love what we do, right? Mm. So it's, it's great. Yeah, Marad. Congratulations, Samara. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. As we start to wrap up, Adere, mm. I do want to ask you though, because um, you know, you've done a lot. You've you've made a huge impact. You've 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 had a really full life. Of course, you still have many years. Um, oh. but <laughs> many years. I, I plan to live to one hundred and four. That's my my grandma on my mom's side died at one hundred and four. That's my target. Yes, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be cheering, cheering along from the sidelines following. <laughs> so, so I'd like to ask though, what person living or, la- or dead has made the biggest impact on your life and why? I'm really curious, actually. You see, I found this really difficult because uh-huh. I've been thinking about that because it's some sort of work-related stuff as well. They ask who are your role models, who are your... And, I couldn't pick a single individual. Hmm. Um, There are things that different people do or Hmm. are that appeal to me and I try to to learn from, but I couldn't pick a single individual. I mean, of course, we are all heavily influenced by our families or Hmm. by our parents, our close friends and and all that. Hmm. Um, so that, that my, my parents, uh, uh, you know, work ethic, their discipline, mm. um, that my love of travel, I think, comes mostly from my dad when we were younger. We used to sort of, you know, Sunday, you know, Sunday after church and Sunday lunch, you know, white rice with, with stew. Um, <laughs> we all piled into the car and went for a drive. Mm. And it was usually we went anywhere. Mm. Um, we would direct and we'd get lost. This is all all 11 of us. I told you about mm. the American yeah. Yeah, uh, would get lost because we just turn left, turn right, and my dad said, "Oh, we don't know where we are." And it was, <laughs> you know, we learned that. I traveled across Nigeria as a child, holidays with my dad and my parents. We went across most of West Africa, so I learned my love of travel and adventure from that. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I couldn't name a single individual. There are people I admire whose careers uh, have influenced mine. A lot of mm-hmm. them. I'd mentioned one particular person here who I think you know as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anya, he's a public health a physician, a mm-hmm. younger. You know, I call him Antam sometimes. <laughs> he's, he's, I introduce him as my 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 brother, mm-hmm. and 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 he winds me up by calling me Sister Beric. <laughs> Like that, um, but I admire. He, I call him a Renaissance man. Mm. He has a diversity of interests and manages to fill his life with mm. all of them and make a, a career out of all of them. So he was one of the founders of this TEDx Houston I've mentioned. Mm. He's a writer. He's a doctor. He works in global health. He's just huh. a real, you know, Renaissance man. I admire him. Mm. And it was the, the challenge that made me change my career was posed by him. Mm. So I count him as one of my models. I count, mm. again, another TEDx guy, uh, public health specialist, Chikwe uh, Hekwazu, who is the current director of the Nigeria Center for Disease Control. Mm. He left a comfortable life mm. and took on a huge challenge to set up that organization and get it off his feet and running and effective. And he still faces challenges every day. Mm. But his, his, his quote is, and what he says, all his staff quoted, keep pushing. Mm. I admire him. Mm. So professionally, these are two people that I, I would say are my role models, so to mm. speak. Yeah. Um, it, personally, 
Um, I learned from some, I'm being blessed to be surrounded by amazing women. Yeah, love um, it. Mm. Amazing women of every generation from my grandmothers mm. um, who were very different, but, mm. you know, each determined, mm. successful women fighting for their place in life mm. uh, themselves. My, my um, uh, oh, you know, my aunties, my mum. I couldn't pick a single yeah. individual. Mm, and I love All that. People have an influence on my life. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, a great answer. You know, how, you know, different people bring different things. You know, I, I love that response. That's amazing. Amazing. So, what's next for you, Barry? What territory oh, left? I, I have actually, okay, my other love, <laughs> because I can't manage to do more than one thing at once like IK does, I've kind of a, it's kind of a smaller part of my life at the moment, but I keep telling everybody I'm going to retire early so I can do that. Mm. I love, um, I have a love of language. I love literature. I love mm. the arts. Mm. I love uh, history. Mm. Um, and I love I've mentioned that I do that part of my current job. I love seeing young people reach their potential. Mm. Um, so I'm planning somehow to pull all these things <laughs> more front and center into my life. So mm. I'm, I'm 52 now. Mm. Um, I have this, and I, I always say, if you speak it out, then you'll be, you hold yourself to it. Yeah. My objective is that the current job I'm doing, unless something major happens, I'd like to leave it by the time I'm 55 mm. and then do something else. Mm. One of which includes going to the um, uh, School of Oriental and African studies in London and studying West African history. Amazing. Um, and then to indulge my love of literature. I don't intend to write. I'm not a writer. I find it really painful. I've done the odd um, blog in the past um, and people have said to me, you know, you're a good writer. I should do this. I said, no, it's really so hard. Mm. And, and it's not for me. Mm. Uh, I love other people writing. I have got piles of books I have to catch up on. Mm. Um, but I would love to study history. Um, and then with that knowledge um, and, and uh, be able to empower specifically, and I make no apologies for this focus, women, young women of African origin mm-hmm. to reach their potential mm-hmm. because they are me. Yes. Um, and, and I think that there is so much more that we can do and be with the right, armed with the right knowledge and a lot of which is on knowing our history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was, you know, we're talking about secondary school and I was a science student. You should remember there's a yeah. you into science or arts. Yeah. But I, as a science student, I was supposed to do geography and economics as my social sciences. I didn't like geography or economics. I did history and literature. <laughs> I had Miss Ndukwe as my history teacher. I had Miss Abouwa as my literature teacher. So I, did, I did Chaucer. I did, you know, uh, the rise and fall of this, uh, the Mali is yeah. empire, all those sort of things. I got an A1 in my history. Amazing. Um, I loved history, I loved literature, and mm. that love stayed. Mm. So the what next for me has got to involve those two subjects in a way, um, you know, working on that love of, of, of the past, bringing mm. it to the current, and then using it to empower young women to, to be all they can be. If Fantastic. I could do that, I'd be very happy, and that would be for the, you know, next 50 years. Of yes, life. yes. <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. You talked about you had a, a pile of books that you need to catch up on. What are some of your favorite books? 
Oh, again. Now, this is this was another is a hard question to answer because I love have such an eclectic love of reading. Okay, so, so two. Give me two. Okay. Oh goodness, I can't, I can't give you two. Okay. I'm going to have okay. to give you two per era. Okay. So, so in the early African classics, Chinua uh, Chebe's "Man of the People" has got okay. to be there because that was such. It was almost like you know he had foresight. Mm. Um, that's got to be there. Mm. Um, current um more um, again in that genre mm. again because of my love of language uh Camaralaya's uh oh what's it called again name's just gone out my head uh who how can that happen um it, it, it's it's an it's a it's a collection of stories a story about the the uh, uh, Songhai empire um ah. based on uh Griots. It's huh, based on Grail. Uh, I'm going to have to hold on. Let me. Let me. Yeah. I, I have to, the name's just gone out of my head okay. now. Okay. Okay. I, I will remember that and yeah. come back to you. No problem. Um, on that, um, <laughs> I had to actually find because my copy got lost somewhere. Somebody borrowed it and didn't return it. Now I can. <laughs> I forgive people for not lending. You know, lend you money, and I don't mind if you don't pay it back. But if I yeah, lend you money, you don't pay it back. I know. You are I know. out. I know. Um, yeah. I agree. So, yeah. So um I shall remember it. Okay. In my head now. Um so more recent, I mean, I, I love uh, uh Chimamanda. Purple mm-hmm. Hibiscus is actually oh, yes. my favorite. Me too. Um, Me too. um I, I love but I actually love more of her essays and mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, how to be a feminist. We should yes. all be feminists yeah, we should all be feminists. Mm-hmm. Um which other let let's see, let's see. <laughs> Oh, it's a really tough one. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to go sci-fi because I love sci-fi. Ah. Um, and um, Af- um, Nedio Korafo. Yes. The Nigerian-American yes. writer. First of all, her personal story is amazing. Mm. She was mm. on the medical school track, tennis, mm. aiming to a tennis pro. She was, and mm. then she had a spinal problem and mm. was told, yeah, you may not work again. And it was mm. while she was in hospital flat on her back, she started writing. Mm. Um, so uh, th- she, she's, she's got a series of books, so she calls them African Futurism. Mm. Um, so they take cons- either past or current recent history and project it to the forward. And then she brings in African mysticism with science fiction it is, and history. It's huh. fascinating. Yeah. One of the ones I love the most is called Who Fears Death. Huh. The name of the lead character is Onye Song. Onye Song, yeah. Wow. Who Fears Death. Yeah. yeah. So it's, 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 I recommend her. If you, you, it's, it's, she's brilliant. She's really brilliant. Um, ooh, oh, I could go on. I could go on. Of course, <laughs> Beloved, yeah. Tori, Tori yeah, Morrison. Of course, of course. That haunted me. Yeah. And, for me, the sign of a good book is one that two weeks later you wake up in the night thinking about yes. it. Yes. Um, yes. In that train, those I don't usually like reading slave, um, you know, the history, slave histories, because they upset me so much. Mm. But there's the the Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill. Hmm. Wow. Um, that is a brilliant, another brilliant one. Mm. Um, I've read. I could go on, and oh, but God. I love poetry. Yeah. Mm. I love poetry. So there's an anth- anthology of West African verse that I've had since secondary school, mm. which I still dip into, and I can still quote some of the poems in there. Mm. Um, yeah. So um, wow. yeah, 
I yeah. could go on. I could go I ha- on. I haven't oh. read a lot of these books that you're talking about. So this is fantastic for me because I have to go track them down. And I, I mean, if anybody out there knows Nedia Karafo, I'd love to chat to her. She, I think she's, I think she's brilliant. Yeah. I think she's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I follow her on social media and all that. Mm. Um, but um, I, I think she, she's, she's got such a, until the, when I, the first book of hers I read was called Lagoon. It's set in Lagos. Hmm. And my mum, who's, my mum is, you know, my mum reads eclectically like me, but I didn't actually think she would like this because I thought hmm. it's not her kind of thing. Hmm. Um, she picked it up, left it on the, on the table hmm. and she read through it and she went, can I have another of these women, this woman's oh. book? So I actually texted yeah. Nettie and said, my mum was 79 at the time. And I said to her, I think she's probably your oldest fan. Okay. <laughs> I remember the name of the Kamalaya book. It's called oh. The Guardian of the Word. Oh, The Guardian of the Word. Guardian okay. of the Word. I think it was okay. published just after he died. It okay. is actually the story of the the, the um, Mali Empire huh. through the words of Griots. Huh. So it ticks the box of history and la- the language is lyrical. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it okay. is out of print, but you can get secondhand copies. Okay. I'll track it down. I'll check it. Okay. Before we go, I want us to t- say a couple of sentences in Igbo. So I'm going to let okay. you kick it off and I'll try my best to respond. Oh, thank you. Because Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so very. Very was just basically saying I'm doing good work and I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. This is amazing. Thank you so much My for pleasure. joining. <laughs> Thanks I've very much. Okay. <laughs> so I told you at the beginning that you would love this episode. Please visit the show episode notes on our website where I have listed all the books that Iberia mentioned and there are quite a few. I've started to go through that list myself. The website address is www.theibo.com. Click on episodes at the top of the page and you will find this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Ebo Initiative and do drop me a note at ugochi at Thank you for listening and we'll see you the next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.